Well, thanks so much, Kelly, for getting us up to speed on where we've been. And before I get into the sermon and the passage, I, I want to tell you about something that we're going to be doing for a few weeks starting next Sunday, July 26th. And that's that we're going to take four Sunday evenings. And in those evenings, we're going to have what we're calling Kingdom Conversations. Um, this is going to be on YouTube. It'll be pre-recorded, but then there will also be a live sort of after event where we'll be talking about different topics. And here's the reason for doing this. We know right now we are all asking a lot of big questions, not just about the pandemic, but about government and about racism and about patriotism and about justice and privilege and a whole bunch of different topics. And we're hearing about these topics from all sorts of people, from celebrities, from pundits, from politicians, from athletes. We're, we're hearing about everybody's opinion on these. We believe God has something to say to us on this. And we believe that we as Christians should have our view of all of these subjects shaped by Christ, shaped by the gospel and shaped by God's revealed word. So we're going to have these over the next four weeks. This coming week, you'll get more information about exact time and link and all of those sorts of things. But we see this as a really significant opportunity for us as a church family to look to gain and, and bolster a biblical framework for some of the big questions that we want to address that are going on in our world. So definitely plan on taking part in that. That's going to start next week on July 26th in the evening. And then we're going to do that for four evenings in a row, kingdom conversations in dealing with some of the deep issues going on in our culture and in our world right now. So I hope that you plan on that. And I want to get right into our passage, which is going to be a portion of 1 Samuel 17. We've been set up for it by Kelly's recap. And I'm going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 through 50. And then we'll come back and walk through the story. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along as I read. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, approached the Philistine. 
Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. This is God's word. And it's obviously a section of God's word that's very familiar to many of us. Um, not only if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, the, the David and Goliath story, it's, it's just become emblematic in our culture. We all are aware of at least some portion of the David and Goliath story. In fact, Andy Stanley, who pastors in Georgia, talked about a story of how he had taught through this passage and afterwards had a church member come up to him and said, I knew the David and Goliath story, but I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I thought it was just a business and marketing analogy. Uh, all this to say, this story has permeated our world. We know the story of David and Goliath. And often we think we know what the story of David and Goliath is about. We may think this is a story about courage because it's just a, a young man, as Goliath says, barely, a, barely uh, outside of being a boy who goes and takes on the giant. So, so it's about courage. Or we might say, well, no, at a more fundamental level, it's, it's about underdogs. David is the ultimate underdog against Goliath, the ultimate favorite, and yet he triumphs. So it's a story about underdogs and that great things can happen even if you're not expected to do anything. Um, or we might say, well, well, maybe the story is about self-esteem. And you see David, who's, who's kind of cast aside and dismissed as somebody that can't do something. And he's going to prove that he can do more than people think he's capable of. But whether we're talking about courage or underdogs, or self-esteem, all three of those miss the point. That, that's not what the story is about. Ultimately, here's what the story is about. The story is about the battle. The story is about how God interacts with the battle, and it's about how the battle is won. Now, we're going to talk later on. I'm going to try to help us understand what we're talking about when we talk about the battle but, but maybe just to whet the appetite, let, let's just pause and say, all of us are in some kind of battle right now. 
we would acknowledge we come in with different things that we're battling against. And for Christians, I'll I'll give three quick examples of what it may be. And you'll find yourself in at least one of these three, if not in all three of them. So you may be going through the battle of trying to be more like Jesus and finding that it is just incredibly difficult. You're fighting against sin. You're fighting for more patience. You're fighting to be honest. You're fighting against lust and against anger and temptation. The enemy's out to get you and you're trying to strive. You you know, you wanna be more like Jesus. You wanna be obedient. You wanna be loving and compassionate to the people around you, but you just find it to be a battle. We battle with personal sin and personal righteousness. Um, Here's the second thing that we battle with. Um, We battle with injustice because we want justice, not just for ourselves, but but in our world. So you might be looking around right now and saying, I I feel like I'm in a battle for justice. I wanna see equality. I wanna see things done right. I wanna see an end to corruption and you're fighting for it in your own sphere and you're also longing for it in the world, but it's just a battle and there's opposition and there's people who don't wanna listen and there's people who don't wanna give up power in order that justice can truly reign. We're in a battle against injustice. Or here's the third one. You might feel like I'm in a battle right now because I know that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be one, that we're meant to be marked by love and by unity. And yet in the world in general, and then even right now during this pandemic and during some of the other social chaos that we're experiencing, we feel far from unified. We feel like we're at each other's throats and I'm fighting for unity and I'm trying to get people to come together and to listen and to have peace and show love and deference towards one another. But man, it just feels like a battle. We find ourselves in battles. And this isn't to say that every battle we're in is a battle that the Lord has a significant stake in and even shares our desire in. But at least the three that I've just named, there's a pretty strong case. God does have a strong stake in those. What do you do about the battle? How do you handle the battle? Where's God in the battle? And how is the battle won? Now the portion of 1 Samuel that we read, the portion of chapter 17 that we read, puts us in the middle of the David and Goliath story. So, so let me talk about it. how did we get to the point that David is standing before King Saul saying, I will fight the giant. And the way that the story begins is that the Philistines, who are frequent antagonists to the Israelites, line up in a threatening way against Israel and Israel comes out to meet them, but they don't immediately go to battle with one another. Instead, what happens is a Philistine champion named Goliath comes out to challenge any Israelite who will take him up on it to one-on-one combat, really representative combat. Goliath says, I'll come out and fight any one of you. If your soldier wins, we'll be your servants. But if I win, you'll be our servants. He challenges to representational battle. As he does this, we get a physical description of Goliath that he is six, um, I'm sorry, that he's six cubits and a span. And there's, there's debate about exactly his height. Some people think, oh, well, the, wait, let, let's not exaggerate. He was just a tall man, maybe about seven feet tall. A lot of people think that this measurement would go to about nine feet. Some people think even more than that. He was a daunting figure. 
He was a daunting figure wearing armor that weighed over a hundred pounds. He was a true and intimidating champion. And when he threw down the gauntlet, the Israelites were terrified. Nobody took him up on his challenge. So day after day, he would repeat the challenge. Meanwhile, David, who we met back in chapter 16 when he was anointed secretly to be the next king of Israel because God had rejected Saul, David has been going back and forth from his father Jesse, where David helps him take care of the sheep, to the court of Saul, where David plays music for him. And some of David's brothers are out in the battle. And so Jesse sends David and says, bring some supplies, bring some food out to your brothers at battle. And David shows up and when he gets there, he arrives to see this giant Philistine issuing the challenge. And David is indignant. He can't believe that nobody is stepping forward while this foreigner is cursing God's people and cursing God. And so David starts asking around. He says, well, what's going to be done? What's going to happen as a reward for whoever goes and kills this Philistine? And somebody answers him and says, well, it's going to be a lot of good things. He's going to get a lot of wealth. Um, He and his family are going to be exempt from taxes for the rest of their lives. And also he'll get to marry the king's daughter. He'll get to marry a princess. And David hears that. And then he asks somebody else about it and says, well, what's going to be done? And he gets the same story from him also. While this is going on, David's oldest brother, Eliab, who we met again in chapter 16, hears what David is doing and gets upset with him. Basically says, I know what you're all about. You're conceited. Your motives are wrong. You're only here because you want to see the action of what's going on. Um, And David responds and says, can't I even talk? And then asks somebody else, what's going to be done for the person who kills this Philistine? Now, now here's the deal. This is a quick aside, but I think it's worth this little aside. Um, we could look at Eliab's words here and say that this is just the, the words of a jealous older brother who's just picking on his younger brother. It's inappropriate. He's lying. David's not really conceited. David's motives really are pure. Um, here's what I want to say. There's reason to believe that Eliab is not 100% wrong here. I want you to think about David's actions for a minute. And David, throughout 1 Samuel, he is almost universally, he's positively displayed. But 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel go together. And when we get into 2 Samuel, David, it's, it's no bed of roses. There are a lot of problems, a lot of character flaws in David. So here's the reason why Eliab might be onto something. David asks one guy, what's gonna happen to whoever kills this Philistine? And he's told, a lot of money, and you get to marry the princess. And he asked somebody else just to make sure, is, is this really true? What's going to happen? And the other guy says, yeah, this is what's going to happen. He's going to get a lot of money. He's going to get to marry the princess. And then even after Eliab says, I know what you're all about. And David chews him off. David goes to somebody else just to make sure. There's reason to believe that at least part of David's motivation wasn't all above board. And here's the reason why I even take this rabbit trail to say that I think that may be true. I think that sometimes as believers, we can get in our own heads about our motives. And the deal is motives do matter. Motives are important. But if you are on a quest of saying, I got to pause before I act on something God may want me to do, because I got to make sure my motives are utterly pure. Here's my pastoral counsel to you. You will never get there you will never arrive at utterly pure motives. I don't know if this, is, if this is a weird thing to admit. I'll admit, right now, I don't know exactly what they are. I know that as I'm giving this sermon, I don't have utterly pure motives. I know that part of my motives for trying to give a good sermon is that I want people to think that I'm great. 
I know that my motives are muddled together and I think that they're mostly good and I'm looking to set those motives on Jesus. Here's David coming, probably not with utterly pure motives. In fact, Eliab calls him out on it. You don't have to have utterly pure motives to end up being greatly used by God for something. And that brings us up to where we started through our passages. We get to verse 32 and in verse 32, David is in the presence of Saul and he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. I'll take on the job. To which Saul responds by saying, basically, David, this is a mismatch. In verse 33, he says, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. This is a mismatch, David. This is a bad idea. Saul feels a little bit embarrassed. Like you're the one we're gonna send out This would be a little bit like if LeBron James showed up to some open gym where a bunch of weekend warriors were hanging out and playing basketball and LeBron James walks in and just throws down the challenge. Anybody want to take me on one on one? And all the 30 to 35 year old dads are kind of looking at him. And then somebody's 14 year old son says, yeah, I'll go take him on. It would be like, no, here's the deal. None of us are going to beat him but certainly not you. We'd be embarrassed to put you forward. Saul says to David, he's been doing this. He's been a warrior since he was before your age. You're just a young man. This is not right. And then David goes into his resume, as Kevin talked about last week. He gives Saul some reasons why he should be able to do this. And he refers to his shepherding. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and I struck it and killed it. He says, you want to know what I'm about? Here's what I'm about. Yeah, I was just a lowly shepherd, but when a lion or a bear would come and get one of the sheep, I would go after it. And I love that he, he describes the whole encounter. He's like, I would strike it and take back the sheep. And then if it turned on me and it wanted a little bit more fight, I'd grab it by the hair and I'd strike it and kill it. He's showing Saul what he's about, but he also shows that he knows that God was with him when he was doing this. Because in verse 36, he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. God will be with me. I am up to the task. I am for real on this. Put me in coach. Put me in and let me go and take care of this for us. And Saul relents. He says, all right, God be with you. And then Saul says, to help you out, I'm going to let you use my armor. And so he starts to give David his armor And David ends up basically saying, all right, I'm not used to these. I I can't navigate these. Um, Now, here's the thing. This is another part of the passage um, that that has become sort of a a self-esteem object lesson for a lot of people. Like, hey, um, this is David saying, Saul, I'm not going to wear your armor. I got to be myself. I got to be me. I can't try to be Saul. I've got to be me. Um, I'm not saying there's zero of that in there, but, but that is such a modern Western individualistic sort of self-esteem, self, self-focused interpretation about what's going on here. That the real purpose of the story is that David is teaching us, hey, you gotta be you. 
that's not really the main part of what's going on. The main part of what's going on is setting up the stakes to show just how mismatched David is going into this fight because he doesn't go in with armor and he doesn't go in with a sword. He goes in with a staff. That's probably what he used for herding the sheep. He goes in with a staff. He goes in with his sling and he goes in with five smooth stones for the sling. This is an utter mismatch. And Goliath, when he sees David, notices that it's a mismatch and he's personally offended. He's personally insulted. Starting in verse 41, it says, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer, and remember his hundred pounds of armor kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He's like, who is this cute little kid who's come out here? Probably never seen a battle in his life. And in verse 43, he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Maybe looking at the staff in David's hands. Really? This is what you've got? Israel, Saul, this is the best that you've got to offer? He says, it says that he cursed David by his gods. And then verse 44, uh, the Philistine says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. He says, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to leave you unburied so that the vultures can come eat up your body. Now here's the deal. In verses 45 through 47, David responds. And this, hopefully you've been listening to the whole time. I want people to always listen to, to, to everything that I say. But if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Verses 45 to 47, this is the key to the whole passage. This is where David just spills the beans on exactly what's going on and exactly what we're meant to take away from this story. Starting in verse 45, David responds by saying to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. First part of David's message is he says, you know what, Goliath, we're coming with two different bases for confidence. You think you're going to win this victory because you got a sword and you got a spear and you got a javelin because you got a hundred pounds of armor and you got a lot of warrior experience. That's what you're bringing to the battle. I am coming not with my confidence in any weapon. I am coming in the confidence of God. You got a sword, you have a spear, you have a javelin, you have armor, you have experience. I've got God. And my confidence is that he's going to give me the victory. He goes on in verse 46. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And just shows you smack talk is not a new thing. But did you hear what he said at the end? And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. David says, you know what's going to happen as a result of our encounter? The whole world is going to hear the story. Everybody is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God that the Israelites worship is not a fake. It's not an idol. It's not made up. It's not imaginary. 
What's going to happen as I enter into this with just my staff and my sling and my stones and you come against me with your giant armor and spear and sword and javelin, everybody's going to know that there's a God in Israel. And I just want, man, man if David had the opportunity, what, what more would he have said if he had the opportunity to jump in a time machine and come to 2020? Um, and if he did, probably first of all, he'd be like, what in the world is going on? But then after that, after he observed what was still going on in 2020, he would have had the opportunity to go back and say, and something else, Goliath, 3,000 years from now, people are still going to be telling the story. And not just people in Israel, not just people in the Middle East, people across the world are going to know this story. Films are going to be made about it. Plays are going to be done. Books are going to be written about this. There's going to be commentaries on this. There's going to be flannel graphs on this. People are going to act this out. It's going to become an axiom for people. All people will know that there's a God in Israel, not just now, but 3,000 years from now because of what's about to go down. But he doesn't just talk about what the whole world's going to know. Verse 47, he says, all those gathered here will know. And you could say, all right, he's talking about the Philistines and the Israelites, but I think primarily he's talking about the Israelites right now, about God's people who should already know this, but there's something important for them to know. And, And maybe you could say, well, they already know there's a God in Israel, which is what he said the whole world would know. But look at what he says they're going to know. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. It's not with sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. This is the center of the story. But but let's tell the rest because David did exactly what he said he was going to do. After this great speech, verse 48 says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. Now here's the deal. Goliath, when he says, Are you, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? It may have been that he saw the staff. He probably didn't see the sling. And some people even think David is, is sort of fighting a little bit dirty here. And, and maybe there's some validity to this because he has a weapon that he can use from far away. He's running towards the mat- battle line. He takes out the sling and people who use these slings could be deathly accurate with them. So you might say David's playing dirty, but remember, Goliath is wearing 100 pounds of armor. David has very few targets that he can go after. Reaching into his bag, and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Man, this story minces no words about the graphic nature of what happened. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That all the world will know that there is a God in Israel and all those gathered here will know that it's not with sword, it's not with spear. I don't have either of those. And he doesn't say it's not with sword, it's not with spear, it's with a really great strategy, five smooth stones and a sling. He says it's not with any of those. The battle is the Lord's. 
the Lord is the one in charge of this, which if it means nothing else, at the very least means this. There is no battle that God can't win. And any battle that involves God, God decides how it turns out. The battle does not belong to Goliath or the Philistines. It does not belong to David or the Israelites. The battle is the Lord's. And he is the one who determines who wins the battle. Now, I want to talk about this. Here, here we are in 2020, middle of a pandemic, middle of all, of all kind of chaos, and then dealing with the, the things that are going on in our lives, the battles that we're a part of. I want to talk about how we apply this. But, but before even that, I want to talk about the wrong way to apply this, which is once again a reflection of sort of modern Western individualism and the idea that we look at this passage and we say, all right, well, well this is about David. Um, so, so let's put ourselves in David's place. So let's say, all right, you're David. What is your giant? What is the daunting thing in your life that you need to conquer? And so maybe for you, your giant is that there's a promotion that you need at work and you don't know quite what to do about it and you're vying for it against other people. And so, you know, your giant is to get that promotion and it's daunting and it's difficult and it's a battle, but you know what? The Lord is with you just as he was with David. So with a little bit of help from God, you'll get that promotion. And what I wanna say is there is no guarantee from God. Why should you get that promotion? Why not the other 14 people that want it just as badly as you? Why would we look at this passage and think, well, that's my giant, so God's gonna give it to me. And my giant is getting into college. My giant is that there's a school that's really my, my reach school, the school that I wanna go to that I think is gonna set me on a path for a great career and a great experience. So my Goliath is getting into that school. Why would you go forward with the assumption that that's absolutely something that God would do for you? God hasn't promised that. God hasn't said where he is, even if you're in a battle like that. There's that girl that I want to marry. There's that guy that I want to go out with. Why would we assume that has anything to do with this passage that we just went through? Here's the deal. Sometimes we're in battles and, you know, they're, they're legit battles. There's things that we want and things that we have to strive to try to get. Don't presume upon God that he agrees with you on what the best outcome is for that. There are battles that we face where we have no guarantee God's with us in it. Just as when two sports teams come together, both of them can't claim that God wants them to win. But then there are other battles, and I mentioned some of them earlier, that we do know God has a, a vested interest in. When we talk about the idea, all right, but all of us, to some extent, we're in a battle against sin. We're in a battle for righteousness. We want to be more like Jesus. We know that's God's desire. And if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to at least some degree, that's your desire also. And you want to see an end to your dishonesty. You want to see an end to lust and to anger and to envy and jealousy and all of those things that are a part of your life and, and greed and, and partiality. And you want to see yourself grow in compassion and love and integrity and courage and all of those things, but you're in the slog, you're in the battle, and there's times that you just feel like, I'm not gonna get there. I feel like I lose ground. I feel like I keep trying and I'm doing my best and, and I'm just not sure I'm gonna get there. Here is the good news that I think we can't take to the bank from this passage. That is a battle that you know the Lord has a stake in. And when you are fighting that battle against sin and temptation, and when you're fighting that battle to be more like Jesus, you are fighting a winning battle. And even saying that is, is not quite correct. 
it's not just that you're fighting a winning battle, you're fighting a already won battle. Because in Romans chapter eight, verse 29, the apostle Paul writes that those of us who are believers in Jesus have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. We will get there. And you know why we'll get there? Not because we got the best accountability partner and the best strategy and the best willpower, but because the battle is the Lord's. And when we think about our our quest for justice and our desire to see justice reign on the earth and, and the discouragement that we have when we just see it not happening, when we see violence and oppression in our country and around the world, and we see the, the people who are in power getting away with things and people who are in other situations being trod on and our hearts break and we feel like we're fighting a losing battle, we are not fighting a losing battle when we fight the good fight for justice in ourselves and in our world. You know why? because the battle belongs to the Lord. And the Lord has won that battle already through the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus returns one day, that battle will be won. There will be justice on the earth. And just as as a by the way on this, um, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, that means that you will be on the side of experiencing God's justice. Um, God wins in the end. That's good news. But it wasn't good news for Goliath in this story. And it's not going to be good news for every human being. Because if you have allied yourself instead with saying, I know what God says, but I'm going my own way. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to figure out how to get what I want, get the money that I want get the support that I want, get the comfort that I want, get the life that I want, get the purpose that I want, and I'm going to do it on my own. Then when final justice comes, you will be on the wrong side of it. You're invited to repent and to turn to Jesus. He is the Lord, whether you believe it or not. And what John 3.16 says is that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith in him, will not perish, but will have eternal life. The fight for justice is not a losing battle. It's a winning battle. It's an already won battle. And not only that, I'll just share. And and we prayed about this earlier. Now, when it comes to church unity, this has been, this has been a rough time, this pandemic. And which is sad because it doesn't have to be this way. Trials could bond us together. And and I I don't want to pass over the fact that I know because I'm having conversations. I'm, I'm texting back and forth with many of you. I'm hearing about how God is at work in your lives and I'm seeing the amazing ways that God's bringing transformation. But let's also be honest that man, this has not been a season of time marked by great sacrificial church unity. Um, we've, we've been divided over the pandemic, divided over mass, divided over Black Lives Matter, divided over all kinds of things. And I'm not trying to say that these things don't matter at all on where we stand with them. But what I am saying is there have been some times that I've been discouraged where I'm like, I, and I'm not trying to pretend I'm the only one, but I'm like, I, I am really trying to advocate for unity in the church and trying to advocate, all right, let's listen to each other. Let's defer to each other. Let's give the benefit of the doubt to one another. And there have been times during this pandemic where I felt like this is a losing battle. But here's the deal. It is not a losing battle. It is a winning battle. In fact, it is an already won battle because through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, he's made the Jew and the Gentile one. He's reconciled us to God and he's reconciled us to one another. There will be justice in the end. There will be unity 
in the end because the battle belongs to the Lord. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up in the fight. Don't lose heart because the battle belongs to the Lord. But even then, there's something that I've got to revisit because it would be a tragedy if we missed it in this passage. Um, I I criticized before the idea that we look at this passage and we say, well, I'm David. Uh, I'm David, so I got to figure this out. Or my main takeaway is be more like David. Here's what I want you to know. Um, The way that the people of Israel responded to this great event was not to say, we got to be more like David. And after this, David ends up being a warrior and going on conquest for Saul and being successful. Um, And here's how the people respond. They respond in a song about David. They say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And here's why this is important. The people didn't respond to David's great military victories and say, we need to be more like David. They responded to David killing Goliath and to his great military victories by saying, thank God that he sent us David because David saved us. We're not David in this story. I'm not David. You're not David. None of us is David in this story. So who are we? You want to know who we are? We are the helpless, frightened Israelites waiting for somebody to come save us. We know we have an enemy that we can't stand up against. We know we will be defeated. We know that there is a giant that we can't take on and to take him on would be like us bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. We know that we are not up to the task. And the giant that we're facing is not just the daunting sense of how trying to make our way through life. It's that we have sinned and we stand condemned because of our sin. We have real guilt, not imagined psychological guilt, but real guilt over our sin. And judgment one day is coming. And not only that, we we face the giant of just dealing with our own estrangement from God and lostness and and sense of trying to make our way through life and figure out some kind of purpose and what is this all about? The giant is daunting. We are not up to the task. But once again, God sent someone. And for all of us, God sent someone that actually ended up being a far-off descendant of the David of this story. God sent Jesus to fight on our behalf. And by the way, think about this also. When David kills the giant, you know what every Israelite probably said? They probably said, we won, we won. And you could look at him and be like, you didn't win, David won, you just stood there. But they did win because David won the battle on their behalf. And when Jesus comes and sacrifices himself on the cross and rises victorious from the grave, all of us who have placed our faith in him, you know what we get to say? We get to say, we won, we won. You didn't win, you didn't do anything. We won because Jesus won. He won the victory for us. He sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And he rose from the dead. It means we also get to look at Jesus and say, we won because there will be final justice. We won because we now know the Lord who will come back and bring a final paradise on the earth. We won because we know the gospel will go to all nations and there absolutely will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation singing praises, exalting God. 
It means that we can look at the world around us and we can be daunted by the fact that we're not sure Christianity is going to survive secularism or atheism. And we could say, gosh, look at them. I mean, they've got the media and they've got the celebrities and they've got the TV shows and they've got all the news anchors and they've got the books and they've got the marketing. They've got all that. But you know, we've got, we've got God. We have God and God will not be thwarted in what he is going to do. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. We have a savior who is sent to fight for us. And, and just as a view of who he is, I love this. Remember the part of the passage where David talks about how he fought off the lion and the bear? Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd that takes care of his sheep and is even willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And we all know that we as sheep are under attack from a lion. In fact, in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter says, Satan roams around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And you and I are not up to the task of taking on that enemy. But when the lion comes for us, you know what happens? The good shepherd comes, strikes him, rescues us. And then if the lion turns on Jesus, he grabs him by the hair and he destroys him. Satan is a defeated enemy who will be destroyed. We not only have final victory in Jesus, we have a shepherd who's caring for us all along the way. The battle is the Lord's. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Stay in the battle. Keep fighting in all of the power that God supplies. Keep fighting for personal righteousness and closeness with God. Keep fighting for unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ and to show love even when others aren't showing love. Keep fighting for justice to reign in your world, in your community, in the state, in the country, in the world. Keep fighting for the nations to know God even when the world says that secularism is going to win out in the end. The battle is the Lord's. And in the end, no one will thwart him from being victorious. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that while we have kings and warriors, you are the king of the kings. Father, lead us to continue to walk with you and trust you. Lead us to experience your victory in our lives and in our church and in our midst. Father, lead us to walk with you more closely and show the world that there is truly a God among us and show all of us that the battle belongs to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, God bless you this week.